Hey, how's it going today? Uh, not too bad. How are you? I am, well, good as usual. <laughs> of course. <laughs> What else could I say? Good morning, Henry. Um, we have a few topics lined up and one that is, is uh, well, kind of on the forefront right now is uh, the, whole, the whole climate change uh, topic, the whole area of climate and impact uh, Well, yeah, on, that's on, indeed a big topic. It, it, yeah, and it's it's not a topic that you can unravel in just one episode, but it it is in many people's minds right now, and uh, we already touched on it in uh, the episode forty five, impact of tourism on polar regions. Um, and now we'll uh, we'll take the tourism part out of it and look at how climate change impacts others. Right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think. Tourism is uh, still part of how it impacts others, especially when we talk about the uh, indigenous people in the Arctic area, um, because tourism has become more and more factor in their uh, economy. Right, right. But when we talk about um, Arctic and indigenous people, we have to outline a little bit what we are talking about. Um, we have very different numbers. They uh, vary a lot depending on the source you're, um, you're taking it from. The United Nations are talking about 400,000 um, indigenous people in the Arctic. The Arctic Council itself talks about uh, almost 4 million people. So it's a huge um, variation in there. That really depends on where you draw the line of uh, the Arctic. So the Arctic indigenous region. people, just to clarify, are people who um, or are peoples who have been in the Arctic forever, who were who were there first, pretty much. Pretty much, yes. Uh, they have like a, a, a nature, um, strongly nature connected lifestyle. They have a cultural connection to the area they live in. Um, they are rooted in the areas they're living in. And uh, when we look at the development of uh, the indigenous people, we see that all the indigenous people in the Arctic region, they have been uh, nomadic cultures. So they were traveling a lot. Um, they had a nat natural uh, migration because usually they were um, either hunter or farmers. And um, if they herd reindeers, for example, reindeers are just following the food. So the herders are following the food of the reindeers as well. So the whole families were just um, migrating. Um, nowadays, it changed a little bit because um, with the development of uh, countries, they also try to improve um, those those uh, people and try to give them um, schooling, uh, better education, um, uh, a better housing in in a. Uh, urbanized way um, which we which are grown up in like urban environments um, considered to be the better housing but um, if it's better that's disputable so what happens is that those um, nomadic people are settled somewhere uh, so they are stuck in a certain way so they, they, their culture their traditions have changed and now they are facing a next problem because um The change of the Arctic changes the environments uh, they are living in tremendously. So they are kind of a little bit um, on the forefront of change because the change in the Arctic is uh, happening much, much more rapidly than in the rest of the world. 
Um, you just earlier mentioned that uh, there are different estimations for the amount of uh, indigenous people in the Arctic. Um, what were the numbers? You said 400,000 is what the UN says. And almost 4 million people what the Arctic Council says. Uh, why are they so... They are, they are one order of magnitude apart. Why Do you know why that is? Why is the UN's number so low and the Arctic Council's number so high? The United Nations are actually taking um, the number of the Inuit people and um, some Sami people and some Chukchi people, like in, in uh, far north Russia, and the Arctic Circle draws the line uh, a little bit further south, um, which basically contains all the indigenous people in the countries which form the um, Arctic Council, which are like eight countries, while the United Nations are taking just the uh, indigenous people who are um, based on the border of the Arctic Ocean. How uh, this is interesting. So, so the uh, United Nations draw the line higher up north, pretty much. Yes. Yes, much closer to the Arctic Ocean <laughs> than the Arctic Council, which actually just tries to fit everybody in who has um, a take in the uh, polar region. Okay, so the the real number is somewhere in the middle, probably. Possibly. Yeah, I think it's about two million. Mm -hmm. But it's it's really difficult to say. Um, when we think about indigenous people um, in the Arctic, we immediately think about Inuit. Um, that would be my first thought, yes. But we have much, much more uh, indigenous people. We have uh, Northern Canada, Northern America. Um, we don't have only Inuit um, in, in Northern Canada, for example. We have also, um, uh, in, in Russia, we have several groups of indigenous people. We have Northern Scandinavia, the Sami people, which are actually considered to be one, one, one people, but uh, it's a lot of different communities with different languages which are combined in the Sami language family. So you have a lot of um, of the different cultural influences all around the globe in the in the area. Um, the most present in our minds is the Inuit people because that's um, they are living around ice uh, around, around Greenland and um, northern Canada. So they have the the biggest um, publicity when when we talk about climate change. We usually tend to go to Greenland. Um, filming carving glaciers there and the people living there and who have lived there for almost ever are um, Inuit people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's when when um, we, we just uh, connect episodes here. So when we talk about um, the history of Arctic expeditions, we talk about expeditions in uh, in and around Greenland. So that was the, the way how we discovered how people can survive in those hostile environments. And those people are Inuit people because that's what we discovered first when we started Arctic explorations. All right. So um, which we, do we have a list of those? Can we, can we go through the, the different uh, well, indigenous the peoples? The list of the people. Yeah. Yeah, we have in, um, in Russia, for example, we have the Koryaks in Siberia and the Chukchi. They are in the far east north. Um, then we have in uh, China, Mongolia, and Russia the Avinks and the Avins, which are closely related. I've never in, heard of those in Russia. Then we have the Turkic, um, Yakutsk, and Dolgans in Russia as well. Then we have the um, Eskimo Aleut 
group of people, which uh, contains Eskimo in Alaska and Russian Far East. And they are subdivided in um, Aleutic, Central Alaskan Yupik, uh, Siberian Yupik. And then we have the Inuit as part of the Eskimo Aleut. Then we have the Greenland um, um, Inuit and the Canada Inuit, the Alaska Inuit. So we have different Inuit groups there. And then we have the Aleut um, around Alaska and Kamchatka. Then we have the Uralic family of um, indigenous people, which is um, Kanti and Monsi in uh, Russia. And we have the Komi in Russia, the Sami in northern um, Scandinavia and Russia. Then we have the Karelians. And then we also have, of course, uh, Germanic roots there, like Icelanders and Norwegians. So we have a lot of different roots. And I must, ad I must admit that I have not heard of uh, probably half of the ones that you just mentioned. It's, it's no, no surprise because... Most of the people, um, like the, the majority of those different people, are living in Russia. And Russia is kind of a black box when we talk about um, Arctic research. 50% of the Arctic, um, of the Arctic landmass is Russia. And we do not much about Russia. We do not much about um, the indigenous people in that area, in, those, um, yeah, in the territory of Russia. Um, that's because... Um, during the time of the Soviet Union, um, Russia tried to mix up the whole um, different people of different uh, nations which formed the, the Soviet Union. And by that, of course, also the uh, indigenous people were resettled and um, other people were settled in those areas. Um, the other thing is also it's a language barrier. We have, um, when you... When you dig into research the major majority uh, of research papers are in english language published so alaska um united states and canada and uh, even scandinavia where english is quite common is very well um published you find a lot of research papers in there um having russian research papers published mostly in Russian language makes it much more difficult for us to dive into because um, my Russian actually is very rusty. I speak um, not much Russian at all. Like I can read a little. Uh, I know a couple of words, but then I'm really lost. So just um, being confronted with the typeface, the Russian typeface, just um, makes me nervous in, <laughs> oh, my, oh my God, what's C that? C Cyrillic, I don't, I don't speak any Russian, but the Cyrillic alphabet is, is it's helpful to know at least the alphabet, then you can exactly. read a few words if you speak German. So th there is a lot of uh, indigenous peoples up there. It is, um, yes. Okay, let's try to dig into the climate change impact on those people. Yeah, um, change is a fact of life for, for the Arctic people generally. Um, and even though they have a rich history of um, culturally adaptive responses to deal with it, they have a much, much bigger impact to face right now. And um, they also have a very different uh, perception of climate change. So when you um, go into those um, communities and you... You see how they how they live and how they deal with that, and you talk with them about um, retreating ice, for example, or melting melting sea ice. They have 
a very different um, perspective on that because we tend to see, uh, to see climate change as something bad, something evil, and they not necessarily do. For them, um, they have the perspective that melting ice grants a better access to um, to the natural resources of the area they live in. Natural resources in form of uh, minerals, of um, of deposits. Um, this, of course, involves the uh, overall geopolitics uh, of the riparian states in other countries, um, because of course, because the states, of course, want to make their claim. If uh, some mineral deposit is found in certain new ice-free land, then um, there is a huge debate. Is the ice free land uh, part of the country which um, is next to it, or is that uh, part of, a, of another country? Especially Russia is um, doing a very, um, how to say, a very tense Arctic policy. So they have a very, very um, big claim in the Arctic Ocean set up. Um, Cl the, claim, claim for resources, you mean? Exactly. Yeah, claim for for um, resources contained in the um, new released land. So the new land guarantees new mining right, uh, mining rights, and um, for that, of course, an ever expanding group of um, researchers, of geologists, um, biologists, and so on, they are exploring these new lands and uh, exploring the resources they contain, and give an idea about what to expect and what we have there. Um, their findings, they underpin political claims of countries because it's a lot of money involved. Uh, we we talk about trillions of dollar worth of natural resources contained there. It's not only oil and gas, but it's also rare earth minerals. So we have a lot of value in the Arctic, um, which we think they are there. These treasures have um, a lot of people... Uh, which want to have their share, and the Arctic indigenous people, of course, want to have their share as well. Tre treasures uh, in a purely financial sense, because, yes, it, yes. Because if you look at it from a from <laughs> from an ecological sense, uh, getting more oil out of the ground uh, is not necessarily what uh, what some people wish for. No, and mainly what we have to consider: oil and gas uh, usually is not land based, so it's um, offshore. Um, we're talking here about the Arctic Ocean, uh, one of the most fragile ecosystems we have in the world. Um, we do not know what our impact, in fact, actually um, creates there and how that will um, affect the the whole ecosystem. But we will definitely have one. And um, some participants in that big race, they don't care about that much. They just see the dollars the petrodollars and just want to um start exploring that as soon as possible oh and uh, rare earths i mean we're looking at uh, at the age of batteries right now and you yeah. need uh, you need rare earths for lith lith lithium-ion batteries and other new technologies and uh, those are for known every to be single computer chip <laughs> they're called they're called rare earths for a reason yeah, there are, there are very, very, very yeah. few places around the world. There's a rare earth mining area in China, in uh, Congo, and in Bolivia, if I'm informed right. correctly. So it's a very limited market. So the prices for rare earth minerals are very, very high. Um, of course, if you um, find rare earth traces in, let's say, Greenland, in an area which is just released by melting glaciers, 
then of course the uh, Greenlandic government wants to have their share in that and um, sees that as a possibility to get a, a bigger independence from Denmark, at least economical-wise. So being less dependent on money transferred from Copenhagen uh, to Nuuk. And that is, of course, understandable, but uh, it contains also a lot of risks. Um, when we look at those possibilities, chances and risks, then um, it's interesting to see that the Inuit especially, they do not see the ice melt as a threat. They um, rather combine the hope for better uh, life and above all a self-determined life. The opportunities offered by the melted ice let them hope um, to finally live without paternalism from uh, from from like a colon it's not not even like a um, colonization country but from from uh yeah from a national government which is not really um into those small regions if you see greenland for example or nunavut in in, in canada that's far far away from the capital areas and especially Nunavut is completely differently from the rest of Canada. So you have a very vast, uh, huge landmass, very thinly populated. And the needs of the people there are completely different from people in Toronto. The, um, the costs of supply there are completely different from uh, people in Toronto. So you have a, a lot of, you have a completely different setup in those areas. And the same goes, of course, um, not only for Greenland, but for all those areas in the Arctic area, in the Arctic region. So they try to use those, um, those changes as chances to get more independent, to get a better situation for their life and when you look at the development in the past let's say one two generations you can see that um, a flourishing um, culture just has been changed tremendously by turning them from nomadic uh, nomadic into a permanently settled um, culture um, and this has happened over the last couple of uh, generations you say yes basically since the um Yes, for example, since uh, Denmark uh, colonized um, Greenland, uh, there's a huge resettlement policy of um, of the Inuit. They uh, try to get the Inuit into urban environments. So Den Denmark tries to do that. Yes, to to give them uh, a better schooling. Um, it's not only uh, Denmark and Greenland. It's the same for the Sami people in Scandinavia. It's the same for. Um, the Russian um, indig uh, indigenous people. It's the same for the Inuit in uh, Nunavut. It's the same for um, Inuit people in Alaska. It's, of course, a logical sense. If you have um, a state structure and the federal state tries to provide a certain standard of living to all its um, uh, people, and if you have people far, far away from the majority of the country, then the costs of that um, standard of living is much, much higher than for the majority. So, of course, they try to um, group them into bigger environments, bigger entities, so the costs of um, supply is 
smaller or it's getting smaller than uh, if you have just 5,000 people spreading over an area of uh, 10,000 kilometers. <laughs> and in those areas, it is tough to get from A to B. I mean, exactly. we have, we have, we don't have uh, railway lines going everywhere. Many, many places up there don't even have roads going to them. So exactly. uh, the only way to get there is by sea. And um, so how do the people up there in the Arctic um, who used to be nomads and now uh, are kind of being, I don't know, incentivized to settle or maybe even forced to settle. How do they think about that? What's, what's um, their feelings about that? How much do you know about that? There are a lot of documentaries about that, a lot of research papers out there about um, how indigenous people, especially um, focused on Inuit, um, deal with the resettlement and um, the change of life. And uh, we have a big problem overall of the countries. It's, it doesn't really matter if uh, if it's in, in, in Northern America, in Canada, or in uh, in Greenland. We face a big problem of alcoholism in um, in those uh, communities. The big problem here is they have no employment because they used to be hunters. They actually. Um, yeah, spent the whole day um, hunting seals, walrus, uh, polar bears, whatever, and um, supplying the families and the communities with food, but also with bones and all additional material um, to do handicraft, uh, to make clothes, whatever. And since the resettlement and the supply with um, a lot of those um, products from the outside, it's not necessary anymore. Um, but on the other hand, there is a lack of uh, uh, of supply of proper jobs. So they don't yeah, they, know they, what they to do. They have to do something instead of that. They can't just sit there it, and Exactly. Do but if you, if you go, especially in those rural, very small settlements on the east coast of Greenland, for example, or in Nunavut, it's a lot of people doing nothing. Because you basically don't have many job opportunities there. You have a local market, you have a petrol station, you have a harbor. And so then, are, they, are they on unemployment or how does yes. that work? Yeah, they're mainly of unemployment benefits and um, getting those um, benefits into um, alcohol to make their day, um, I don't know. Bearable. Bit, yeah, exactly. A little bit more bearable. But um, in fact, that's a, a big problem. So... Um, when we see those impacts of uh, climate change, those groups are actually quite positive because they see money chances coming into those communities. More money means better um, supply of uh, possibilities. So, for example, Nunavut is very close to areas and Elsmer, um, in, in, uh, in the Elsmer uh, Island area where you have a lot of landmasses just released by the ice so that's like the the focal point where explore, uh, exploration expedition starts from into those areas but um the Nunavut Eskimos they are not participating on that um a lot because they are considered to be not educated well enough so they actually uh, have the hope that the money coming in um, grants them a better education. Um, better education leads to better job opportunities to um, participate in the exploration in that field much, much better. You can see a similar uh, development in Greenland where um, a lot of um, education 
um, has Im, uh, impacted from from Copenhagen. They have um, brought a lot of educational structures into Greenland, and you can see in those big urban areas how the Inuit um, have changed their uh, um, their lifestyle. You can say. And uh, use that education for different job opportunities, um, becoming doctors, becoming lawyers, becoming managers. Um, big, the biggest fish company in Greenland, um, Royal Greenland, is um, is such an example. It's uh, run by by Greenlandic by by by, by Inuit uh, people, um, which which you wouldn't probably consider in uh, more rural areas and much smaller communities um, where there's less education in in a traditional way we understand that because they of course have their own way of um, transferring um, education uh, they know much much more about ice about uh, different types of ice than uh, a general well-educated uh, person um, further south knows about. They know exactly where to go to um, hunt certain animals, certain species. That's a lot of education, um, a lot of knowledge we don't have, which they have accumulated over generations just by uh, by pure... Just by um, being there, <laughs> by be exactly. By, so, yes. so here, here's my question, and um, I'm trying. I'm trying not to do a value judgment here, um, but um, if we look at those smaller communities, those smaller settlements in like Eastern Greenland, um, where you say the, the the price they're paying is quite high, being unemployed, not uh, not having much, uh, succumbing to alcoholism, or a lot of them at least, um, the. the the power to be in Greenland is Denmark, and is is how how do, how does that reflect in the in the Danish society? Uh, is that just something that people shrug off and go, well, "That's the price that we have to pay for progress," or how? What's what's the general sentiment about that? Oh, that's a, geo, a geopolitical um, perspective. So we are we are zooming out of that microcosm East Greenland and go into a geopolitical um, analysis of the Arctic region, because um, the price Copenhagen is paying for Greenland is a pie, uh, is a price for sitting on the table for um, being part of the Arctic area. Um, Denmark wouldn't be a participant in uh, in, in in those councils and those um, assemblies if it wouldn't had Greenland. So it is kind of a big value for Denmark to have Greenland to pay the price of development in Greenland um, to be able on the other side to negotiate with the United States, with Russia, with Canada um, about, for example. Um, natural resources in the area that's got released through climate change. That's a lot of of, um, of worth for Denmark to see. I think I think we should probably do an entirely separate episode about how did Greenland end up in Denmark's hands anyway. Definitely, yes. So that that I think would be interesting. Another history lesson. I I would kind of like this. So it's yeah, also it's a, there's also um, a possibility of do uh, more episodes about um, the geopolitical perspective of uh, the Arctic region because the climate change releasing more of the Arctic Ocean, of course, brings in not only the um, states which have direct borders to the Arctic Ocean, but also raising 
countries like, uh, let's say, China, which have an, uh, a very um, well-formulated uh, Arctic policy. Same goes for the United Kingdom, which has a very um, fast-forward Arctic policy. Uh, same goes for Germany, which is one of the biggest research um, players in the area, which is not an Arctic country. Um, so we have a lot of um, a, a lot of topics to cover here, just from a geolo uh, geopolitical perspective. I, I think I think we should we should also put this uh, to the audience, everyone who's listening to this right now. I think this is a very interesting direction that we could could take this show into. Um, so I think let's just ask everyone who's listening to this right now, is, is that something you'd be interested in? Because um, I think we also want to cover like smaller topics as well, just very everyday kind of things from the Arctic but and the Antarctic. But um, that the whole geopolitical area is one that I admittedly don't know too much about. So I would be happy to learn more about this. And I think you, you could be uh, someone who can bring that into the into the Curiously Polar universe. So... Uh, everyone, you know how to contact us. Go to curiouslyporter.com and there's links to to our to our emails and Twitter streams and so on. Uh, yeah, be, be vocal, be loud, let us know. So, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had to take this quick detour. Um, It's uh, completely fine. Uh, we, we were um, at the value of Greenland for um, Denmark. Right. So where do we go from here? Um, yeah, um, yeah, I actually think that um, we should have a, a broad look onto climate change, which is, of course, a big impact uh, globally for a lot of people, for millions of people. Actually, the um, United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, um, they estimate that by 2050, 150 million people um, will be displaced by um, climate change-related phenomena such as uh, desertification, um, sea level rise, floods, storms, and so on. Um, so it has a global impact, but if we see the impact for the indigenous people in the Arctic, um, we see that their way of living, their traditions, their culture will change. But... Um, Most of those indigenous people see climate change as a positive thing because it gives them um, a worth, a value. It gives them a chance to raise their voice, to speak up and to have a more um, uh, self-determined life in the areas they want to. So that could change their role in their countries. I find this fascinating because when... When we look at climate change from our Western perspective, from our European, American, whatever perspective, from our non-Arctic perspective, we see this as an always very bad thing. But if you if you zoom in, if you put your put your uh, binoculars on and look at those communities there, um, they see the positive side of it. But th doesn't that mean that these people in several years? will not be able to stay where they are i mean is that is the climate change going to turn them back into nomads in some form 
Probably, yes. Uh, you will see a lot of uh, migration connected to, uh, to climate change. Um, if you see, for example, um, ice, new ice-free areas, uh, melting permafrost um, soil and so on. So th there is a lot of migration connected to that. But it's also when you um, um, take a step back and you see those developments or those those possible future developments of um, the indigenous people seeing the resources as a chance of of growing their own economy. Um, you have similar developments in Africa. You have seen similar developments in Asia. Pretty much in all um, uh, development areas which try to climb the ladder uh, to development countries, uh, to developed countries, um, you also see similar impacts. Um, you see that this is only a short-term success, usually, and it's followed by um, a regression period. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit tricky to make a forecast here because the uh, indigenous people in the Arctic, they are part of um, developed countries, of countries with a high sensibility of um, how fragile the Arctic environment is. But then, of course, you have those political um, goals, those political aims and ambitions of those countries. Um, for example, uh, for uh, the United States, which actually have a very very short claim a very very little claim in the arctic ocean but have a very big voice and you see russia which has a very very huge claim and tries to play a bigger role in a geopolitical um in a geopolitical sense all over the world when you see little small countries like denmark which basically have just greenland as an asset but it's a big asset um to have a, a saying in there so all those developed countries they have a sense for the fragile environment there. So there is this hope that if these resources got um, agreed on and if those claims are uh, settled and they start the exploration, that the exploration is a little bit um, orienting itself um, on the Norwegian style of oil exploration in front of the Norwegian co uh, coast where they actually try to be as environmental friendly as possible and putting a lot of money aside just for the um, for the possibility of um, of a leak or um, something going a spill or something going really badly wrong. So th there is a chance that we use the experience, the knowledge we gathered during the past fifty years on the fragile environment in the Arctic region that the impact on this uh, environment can be kept as low as possible, but still having an economical outcome that enables the indigenous people to have a more self-determined life, to have a better future than they had in the past one, two generations. Okay, I think that's that's the positive note we need to end the show on. Um yeah, thanks, Henry, for, for giving us this insight. Again, this is so fascinating, and I would totally love to uh, to drill down that hole a bit further and and learn more about this, because I love the area, I love the Arctic, but I don't know too much about it in some contexts, especially the geopolitical one. So, 
yeah everyone again let us know if you have any uh any thoughts about that if you have any uh, if you find if you find this interesting if you like what we're doing here um we need your feedback this is really important for us to steer this is your chance to steer this into another direction so let's find out and thanks everyone for listening for being here and we'll be back in a week from now with another interesting topic uh henry thank you very much thanks Chris. and uh until next time bye bye until next time bye